Good evening, everybody. It's Steph. I hope you're doing well. It is, gosh, Tuesday afternoon, maybe the 15th, at around 17.42 p.m. And I hope you're doing well. I just had a fascinating meeting that I can't tell you about just now, but probably one of the more interesting meetings I've ever had in my career. And until the dust has settled, I really can't talk about it. So you'll have to wait. Now, I was talking this morning about the poor and the problem of mimicry, right? So I sort of divided the poor into three categories. Those who choose to be poor for a variety of reasons, the monks and the students and so on. Then there are those who are poor due to their own fault, right? So the drunks, the gamblers, the ad- the addicts, the, you know, the abusive, those who yell at people at work and seem to have trouble maintaining their job status. And then there's category number three, which is those who are poor, who are uh, poor not through any of their own circumstances, but rather through accident. Uh, you know, the deserving poor, we can say in terms of charity, right? In the first category, it's unjust to give people uh, money uh, for charity, in my view, uh, because if, you know, when I was a student and I was um, living on, you know, $5,000 a year and, you know, all the peanuts I could eat, then it would be sort of, I think, unfair to say, oh, Steph, you poor dear, you are setting yourself up in graduate school, it's costing you a lot of money, but you are, you know, um, you're going to need our charity because it's a net loss. Well, of course, it's not a net loss. It was a huge gain for me to go to university, not because of anything particular that I got from university, other than fights and headaches and problems with professors, but uh, in terms of what it means to have a graduate degree, it gives you some, you know, sort of the short-change intellectual credibility that has served me well in my career. It would be similar to say, and we probably would not say this, right, but we... It would be similar to say, oh, those poor, poor doctors who are going through school, boy, they just don't have any money. And, you know, we really should give them money uh, because they are such uh, poor dears and they really do need our support and assistance. Well, we don't say that, of course. Um, We recognize that they're making a temporary trade-off in their income for the sake of a long-term advancement in their income and career and so on. So the second are those who are the undeserving poor, In other words, you know, and of course I put, (laughs) to bring it back to the personal level again, because really, when you get right down to it, it's all about us. Um, You know, my mother would be an undeserving poor, like she's poor, but, you know, she's poor because she chose not to restrain her temper at work, right? So nobody would hire her. She chose to avoid getting any sort of psychological treatment, despite increasingly an obvious psychological problems. And even as a kid, I suggested that she get help because it wasn't too subtle. So, of course, the net result of that is that she's poor, but it wouldn't have made any difference to subsidize her, as I sort of found out later on in life, because she just has become so corrupt and empty that money doesn't mean anything to her. It doesn't give her any more pleasure. She just, you know, hands it over to lawyers who wasted on pursuit of a frivolous um, uh, sort of hypochondriacal medical case. And, of course, so in that sense you know, uh, giving money to my mother was a bad thing, right? I mean, it's like giving money to a drunk, then he goes and buys um, a drink is is a bad thing, right? Charity in that situation is getting him nice and drunk so he can go home and, you know, beat his kids. Uh, And sort of giving money to my mother gave her money to give to lawyers who pursued frivolous lawsuits, you know, to the detriment of, you know, potentially honest physicians. I don't really know, but... um, 
so you know it's actually it's an it's a moral negative right to give to give money to people who are going to use it badly to the detriment of others uh, charity then becomes a vice right so in the first situation charity is irrational and and unjust because people are sacrificing their income in order to gain more money later and in the second instance uh, charity is unjust and wrong because you are giving money to people who are going to use it to cause destruction right i mean to to do bad things right so in those two circumstances i think we can safely say that charity is a net negative right um however in this third category of the deserving poor well i think that we can all say um that these people are are you know deserving of our support you know that 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 there is sad things that have happened to them and bad things that have happened to them you know and and of course in this category it's you know children whose parents have been orphaned and uh, you know children who are babies who are born with medical defects you know that their parents for whatever reason didn't have insurance against and you know just the innocent right the the people who are um um justly i think deserving of our charity um now that sort of distinction right between these sort of three groups and there are really only two groups right those who deserve charity and those who don't the distinction between those is very important and the distinction between the deserving and the undeserving poor is very well known among the undeserving poor right so one of the problems that you have is that the undeserving poor wish to cloak themselves in the mantle of the deserving poor which is fairly significant right and i'm just talking about like jerks right <laughs> to use the sociologically technical term i'm talking about you know guys who you just won't get a job you know i, I remember seeing uh, i think it was a uh, was it it's not wife swap it's like trading spouses that's it um wife swap maybe in fact an entirely different program on an entirely different channel but <laughs> it was trading spouses and there was this one um couple where the guy was just a complete burnout and he'd spent his youth drinking and you know all he wanted to do was go to concerts man i mean what's wrong with that have some fun and you know of course they <laughs> they couldn't pay their rent right they couldn't pay their electricity bill so this guy was like well i'd much rather go to a concert and forget about the electricity bill man and you know that's sort of somebody who is an, an undeserving poor guy right i mean it's not that he's poor because he can't work he just chooses the short-term gain of going to concerts over the long-term gain say of maybe having heating and and electricity to cook his kids some some food. So that uh is, you know, so giving that person money will simply result in them going to more concerts. It certainly won't result in them paying the electricity bill. So that's sort of important. Um but those guys know that what they want to do is they want to portray themselves as the deserving poor, right? As those who are poor not because of their own choices and circumstances um but because sorry not because of their own choices but because of circumstances beyond their control right so a, a kid born with spina bifida is obviously not morally responsible for that issue if the parents haven't taken out insurance or haven't got a solution for that problem then we might question the moral morality of the parents but we certainly would not find it just i think to punish the child for that situation now it's very hard of course to distinguish between parents who did not buy their child insurance against being born with spina bifida because you know they just didn't understand it or didn't know about it or were lied to or you know they did buy it but the company went bankrupt or they they thought they'd bought it but they were bilked by an insurance guy or something like that 
and those people who are just like, eh, forget it, you know, we're not going to pay the 20 bucks, we're just going to go see a movie instead, right? And, and that's sort of the difference between the deserving and, and the undeserving poor in terms of the parenting, right? The, the child is always a deserving poor. But um, given that you can't give the money to the child directly, it's sort of based on economic reality that, you know, babies are not very good at double-entry bookkeeping. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of them really don't understand capital gains, Um then, you know, you really can't give money to children directly, so the only way you can get money to children through charity or in any sort of charitable charitable situation is to give the money to the parents, right? And, you know, so parents know that if they can portray themselves like sort of jerk parents or the the, the, um, the undeserving poor, those who are not uh, deserving of charity, they know that if they can convince people that they are, in fact, the hard-done-by poor, then they're going to get charity. And one of the ways that they do this is to hold their children hostage, right? I mean, we we can sort of see that, you know, with the rise of, of the welfare state, and I don't want to get into the welfare state as a whole because we're just talking technically, but for those who find it horrifying that human beings would hold their children hostage in return for charity, uh, well, you simply have to look at the statistics, right, and the economics. We're not trying to sort of judge everyone here or come up with uh, a, a, a final solution to all things related to poverty, but we're just looking at some general trends, right? So if you look at... Um, the welfare state when there was no welfare state. In other words, if you're a young teenage girl full of, uh, you know, hormones and happy juice, then if you get uh, pregnant, then, you know, you have to have an abortion, which is risky and dangerous, or, you know, the parents have to have a shotgun marriage and and they have to uh, force some, you know, slack-jawed, pimply yokel who, who knocked you up to marry you which is probably going to result in them living in your basement, in the parents' basement, for quite some number of years, and it's probably going to result in divorce or a bad marriage, and they're going to have more kids. And, you know, so pregnancy outside of a committed relationship socially is, you know, economically, I'm just talking economically, you know, it's kind of a disaster, right? I mean, it's kind of like a bad thing. So, of course, prior to the welfare state, there was strict social controls on uh, sort of teen sexuality, right? And you can sort of debate whether that was a good or a bad thing in terms of the ethics, and you can debate, well, you know, it was just religion and so on, but it did serve a very practical purpose, which is that it kept uh, people from engaging in sexual behaviors that re- would result in pregnancy. Um, no, I mean, in my particular view, it was sort of heavy-handed, and they didn't promote enough alternatives to non sort of non-fertility-based sexual practices, <laughs> which is a catchy phrase perhaps I should patent. Um, you know, so they didn't sort of promote alternatives to intercourse with ejaculation so that, you know, the teens could get their sexual satisfaction, which is fairly important when you're a teenager, or certainly can can attest to that when you're a teenage man or a teenage boy. Um, But, you know, uh, so I thought it was too heavy-handed. But, of course, it served a very elemental purpose, right, which is that the creation of life that's dependent for 15 to 20 years is a pretty... It's one of the most significant things that you can do uh, you know, outside of, you know, specifically immoral crimes. And so social controls over this thing sort of made sense. And so then what happened was, after the welfare state goes in, of course, uh, uh, women can survive without um, the income of the male during pregnancy and, and sort of wet nursing and so on, sort of a breastfeeding and so on. And so, you know, two things happened. Well, you know, society says, beh, you know, I, I don't care as much, right? I mean, it's not going to come directly out of my hide, and, you know, it's not really that big a problem, so, you know, what is it, like one out of a hundred teenage girls would get pregnant, so, you know, well, the welfare state's only going to have to deal with one out of a hundred, and, 
you know, it's not going to directly affect me and, you know, uh, society's going to pay. So, you know, I'm not going to sit there and nag everyone about keeping their legs crossed. And so, of course, what happens then is that because social control is withdrawn, or at least diminished, and then uh, economic incentives are put in place, i.e., you know, instead of getting a crappy job, you can just have a kid or two, and that can keep you in gravy. You know, poor as hell, but alive, which is sort of a key difference between poor and broke. And uh, so that sort of uh, occurred, which, which changed the whole sort of demographic landscape. And so that was sort of one effect of the uh, of the welfare state, and the other effect was that the uh, the uh, the women uh, no longer have to choose economically productive men as directly, right? So virtue uh, in a man becomes a uh, far less valued commodity, right? I mean, a woman is going to want to have a baby with a man who's going to stick around and be responsible, and you know, comfort her and help her, and you know, get up to change the diapers and, you know, be a nice guy and a good guy and support and, you know, be a husband and all that kind of stuff. And all of that stuff is difficult and requires, you know, some intellectual and virtuous, sorry, some some moral rigor, right? I mean, so, uh, I mean, I've had some, I, I worked in a daycare when I was in my teens and I uh, have had spent quite a bit of time around children and babies and, you know, they can be, uh, they can be some work. Um, wonderfully rewarding little munchkins, but, you know, they can be some work. So you want a guy who's just not interested in sort of getting his rocks off, but you want a guy who's going to sort of stick around and, and be do the right thing. So that, of course, and, and the guy who's just like the, uh, the sleazy kind of, hey, how you doing kind of guy, uh, who just wants to have sex with a woman and not settle down, uh, this guy is sort of um, frowned upon, right? And so virtue is, is a, uh, a valued, valued commodity in a male when... There is no state support of, of children. That's just sort of one example. And <clears throat> when there is state support of children, then virtue within a male becomes far less important. And what becomes far more important is, you know, they're cool, they're dreamy, they're, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever nonsense. They're tough. You know, they they're, they have a nice car. They, you know, <laughs> my girlfriends think he's hot, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So, you know, basically then shallowness and vice become <laughs> sort of sexually appealing and virtue is, you know, not that way anymore, so of course you end up with far worse uh, men having uh, children, you know, men who are you know, pretty much guaranteed to not stick around and do the right thing, and of course you get a big explosion in the number of people who are having children because um, social controls are lifted and you know, having children is subsidized. So, you know, it should have, I mean, it should be no shock to anyone that with the welfare state you get the rise of sort of single-parent families and you get an explosion of uh, you know, um, early and, and premarital or, or non-marital pregnancies. So um, that was a minor tangent. I guess we could classify that as a min- <coughs> minor tangent, but uh, we will uh, attempt to re-find <coughs> the thread that we were working on and, and start up again. Um, we were talking about the, um, the desire for people who are undeserving of charity to portray themselves as those who are deserving of charity. Ah, it's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back to me now. Um, the uh, uh, and and one other way that they do that is they say, well, look, I got pregnant and the guy left me, right? That's that's one way that they do it, or 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 I got pregnant, I got married to this guy and he drinks and he beats me, right? And you know something that Christina is endlessly, I'm sure, telling her patients is, um, well, did he display any of these signs while you were dating, 
And, you know, oh, no, he was a total sweetheart. He never touched a drop, blah, blah, blah. And then you start to dig in and you find, yes, he was a drunken, beating lush before you get married, right? So the fact that you chose to get married and have children with this guy is terrible for the children, who are always the innocent agents in this situation. But, you know, the woman is totally responsible for for that fact, right? I mean, I don't care if her own father beat her or whatever, right? I mean, I uh, rose in a situation of violence, and I'm one of the most gentle creatures you can imagine. I've never been in a fight in my life and plan to never do that. Um, so uh, that's one of the ways in which the uh, undeserving poor will attempt to portray themselves as the deserving poor, right? And another way, of course, is the, you know, everyone's out to get me. I can't catch a break. My boss is, you know, a jerk, and, you know, I just can't get ahead, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, right? So somebody who externalizes all of the responsibility for his or her life in psychologically technical terms, who externalizes their locus of control, um, which I thought was some sort of Buddhist cult, locus of control, but no, apparently it's a technical term for psychology. So they will attempt to portray all of their... um, the, the bad consequences or the bad circumstances of their own lives as the direct result of external forces that are they're out to get them. And so they are, in fact, the deserving poor because they are attempting to morally equate themselves with a baby born with spina bifida, right? I mean, obviously, that baby is not responsible for spi- being born with that defect or some sort of defect, but, you know, a grown man who just can't seem to keep a job just keeps having a succession of bosses who mysteriously take an aversion to him and uh, he has no responsibility in the matter. But, of course, if he can convince you that he is uh, uh, not responsible for his own uh, problems or circumstances, then, you know, by golly, uh, he's done a great job, and he gets your charity, and he doesn't have to be a decent person. And so you end up then, of course, perpetuating poverty, right? And sort of that's the, the sort of essential part, the, the essential division between these two, these two things. Um, if you... Uh, decide that you think it's a good idea to uh, give money to people who are the deserving poor, right? Those who genuinely want to get ahead, right? So, you know, let's say that your neighbor uh, needs, you know, to borrow $100 from you a month for a year so she can pay a babysitter so she can go out and get a decent job, right? Sorry, so she can go out and take a night course in typing so she can get a job. Well, of course, this this person uh, is is uh, uh, you you face a risk there, right? You, you face a risk that uh, uh, they are going to take your money, and they're going to you know blow it on um, you know wine, woman, and song, and they are not going to do what they say they're going to do, but they're going to you know whatever. And, oh, I took the course, but the teacher failed me for no reason, or you know I took the course, but the, the school went out of business. Can I borrow another hundred bucks for another whatever, right? Uh, and in, in which case, what you've done is you have postponed a crisis that will help them, right? I mean, it's the old... It's, I, I sort of had this tongue-in-cheek uh, podcast and sort of way back in the dawn of time where I talked about, you know, we should try and get the government to, to, to raise taxes and get as much money as possible so that it will spend itself into oblivion because the only way that you can get free of, you know, an addict is to encourage his addiction to the point of self-destruction. And, you know, that was sort of tongue-in-cheek. This is slightly less tongue-in-cheek. Um, but uh, uh, so the idea is that if you give someone, if you, if you uh, erase the consequences of somebody's actions, then those actions need to be reinforced by different consequences, then you're actually sort of drugging them in terms of their, their feedback mechanism, right? So if, let's say that somebody sort of has this belief that, 
you know, money should fall out of trees, they shouldn't have to work, they shouldn't have to produce, and they should just do whatever they want. Well, <coughs> that's not true. I mean, sort of a basic factual reality, in order to consume, somebody, you or somebody, has to produce. So, uh, it's not true that you can just sort of coast along and not work, and, you know, everything's going to be fine, and you hope for the best. But, um, if you subsidize that, right? This is sort of the Atlas Shrugged thing, right? Like, if you subsidize other people's fantasies, you really can't blame them for having those fantasies, and you're actually not doing any good to them, right? You're not doing any good for them at all. Like, if you have a sort of, the, the sort of prototypical, chunky, bald bachelor with a missing front tooth who won't go out with anyone who's a woman who's not a complete knockout, and you say, yeah, you should go for it, Right? they are not, uh, you're not really doing them any good, right, at all. I mean, you're not sort of speaking truth to them, which is going to help liberate, liberate them from their fantasies. And so if you sort of lend these $100 to this, your neighbor, who says, oh, I'm going to take a typing lesson and get a good job, um, and they don't do it, then you actually have done a bad thing, right? Charity is, is morally uh, problematic if you are subsidizing um, people's, uh, erroneous and 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 predatory and immoral and kind of thievy um, practices, right? So, I mean, if you allow yourself to be taken advantage of people, it's not morally neutral. And to me, that's morally problematic. And I'm not going to sort of say evil or corrupt or anything like that, but because uh, that's a discussion for another podcast. But it's morally problematic. So, to take the prototypical example, if your neighbor wants to, you know, your your neighbor is some woman who's a real drunk, and you know, whenever she gets drunk, she screams at her kids. And she comes over and wants to borrow a bottle of whiskey, and you lend her that because you feel like being charitable. Well, you're really not being a good person at all. You know, in fact, I'd say you're being a pretty bad person because you are now getting her drunk and exposing her children to, you know, pretty brain-squeezing terror. And that's really not a very good thing to be doing. In a sort of less extreme example, if you uh, lend a woman... Uh, this sort of same woman money so that she just it, she, and she just sort of has enough she gets a bu- this from a bunch of different people and she just she just kind of puts off looking for work you know something's going to turn up I, I, I sent an email off a couple of days ago something's going to come out you know there's no real urgency or panic in her her situation well you know that's not really a good thing that you're doing because you know she's going to not put the effort out that is required to get a job right it's kind of tough to get a job and so she's not really going to put that effort out. She is, and then, you know, months are going to go by, and her pay, you know, she then has even more gaps in her resume, and she has that much less to explain. She gets more, uh, that much more to explain in an interview. She gets more lethargic, and she kind of gets sort of comfortable, right? It's like, yeah, okay, it's kind of diminished, and I could probably be doing better, but, you know, I'm kind of getting by. Something's going to happen, and so on. So you're kind of blunting her consciousness, right? You're kind of drugging her nervous system at a time when it needs to be kind of alert, right? I mean, uh, sort of economic failure is like the last, except for the state, of course, it's the last predator of the modern world, right? So um, you kind of need to be alert to it, right? Like you don't want to give someone a sleeping pill when there are lions prowling around at night because you kind of want them to sleep lightly and be alert for danger. So if you give charity to people and it blunts their sense of urgency around rescuing themselves economically or coming up with an economic stand that is going to be uh, productive and self-sustaining for them, then you're kind of not helping them. You know, in the in the discussion on free will that I had on Sunday, uh, I had talked about 
um, how you know pain is, is a good thing, right? Pain pain helps uh, people to change, right? I mean, the pleasure pain principle is very important, and one of the things that we do when we allow people to face the consequences of their own actions is that you know we kind of inflict pain on them, which helps them avoid you know doing those actions in the in the future. So you know, charity is a very dangerous thing, right? It can be actively immoral, like you give the the drunk the drink who yells at her kids. Or it can be sort of passively immoral, like, well, you just kind of give enough money for someone so they can get by, and, you know, they never face that sort of, oh, my heavens, I'm absolutely out of money, I better get off my fanny and get something going here, because otherwise I'm really going to be in trouble, right? So you, you somebody becomes dependent uh, on, on you. So, so, you know, charity is sort of like a drug, right? I mean, you want to apply it uh, in moderation and, and in very specific circumstances, so, uh, you know, you, you, morphine is great if you've just broken your leg. Uh, it's not so good if you just have a headache, right? And so that's sort of, and you, you want to make sure that the person doesn't, doesn't get addicted because it's a pleasant sensation. Uh, so, it, it, you know, you kind of need to have experts uh, at the helm, right? Why, why sort of the most effective charities ha- do have means tests, do have home visits, do have, you know, you, you can't uh, do this and you can't do that because they're fully aware you like expert charities, and these mostly exist in the past rather than the present. But they were fully aware of the possibility of addiction to charity. They were fully aware of the possibility of uh, mimicking, right? So somebody who is undeserving of charity mimicking them as somebody who is deserving of charity. And so they would have, like, you know, if you wanted charity, you'd have to run a gamut, and that gamut was pretty humiliating. And, you know, you'd have to come and reapply every couple of weeks, and you'd have to be reviewed by a board of people who would assess every possibility. And those people would then say, oh, I know someone who's looking for a seamstress. Why don't you go there? Well, you don't want that job. Well, what about this? And, you know, and they would really, it would be a tough process to go through, you know, as it should be, right? It, it should be a fairly tough process to get morphine, <laughs> right? I mean, to some day, I'm not talking making it illegal or anything, but, you know, it should not be... Um, you know, available in vending machines on uh, school corners, I mean, or whatever, right? So, and of course, you know, it would be very unlikely to be because people would just boycott companies who did that. So, you know, this problem of charity is complicated, and it's complicated because you really have to try and find those who are undeserving so that you're not adding to the problems of the world. Find those who are, de- sorry, who are deserving of charity. And of course, one of the ways that you know that people are deserving of charity is, you know, often they just won't ask for it. You'll have to sort of find them in distress and, and offer to help them. And, you know, it produces a flurry of activity. Uh, I mean, I remember once I was um, uh, a roommate of someone's and uh, I bounced a check on them, which was ridiculous because I was making a fortune at the time. But I bounced a check. And so, you know, well, what did I do? Well, I apologized 8,000 times. I went out that very afternoon and got a certified check. I, you know, offered to drive it to his bank and deposit it that very day. And, you know, all these things, right? I mean, because if you do something that causes other people inconvenience, you absolutely want to, uh, you know, try and solve the problem and, and help them as much as possible and as quickly as possible. So... You know, if if somebody is is responsible and has ended up in a bad situation, and I've borrowed money in my life when I was younger, and uh, that's sort of an important uh, um, uh, aspect of things, right? So I borrowed money, and then I would continually keep track of that money that I had borrowed, and I would uh, say, "Look, uh, I still owe you this. I still owe you that. We've still got to deal with this. Uh, would you like any interest?" And you know, I tried to be as responsible as possible. Um, for the money that I had borrowed, right? I mean, that's that's fairly important. Um, 
But of course, you don't tend to have to keep borrowing money if you have that kind of mindset, that kind of responsible mindset. Right? It's a temporary thing, right? I think I borrowed money for maximum for like one month or two months. Whereas I remember um, lending money to a girlfriend in university and she took me like a year or a year and a half to pay her. And I really had to pester her. And she came up, oh, you know, my family, my father's unemployed, blah, 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 right? And uh, all of that is perfectly understandable. But, you know, generally the way that you know that somebody's um, uh, shafting you, right, <laughs> is that they don't, uh, they're not proactive in their communication with you, right? They just kind of hide and hope that sort of maybe some magical fairy will erase your mind, right? Um, it's like, I think there's an opening of Bridget Jones' diary or something where she gets her visa check, or it's no confessions of a shopaholic, I think. She gets her visa, visa check and she's like, oh yeah, I've heard that people accidentally pay off other people's visas because they just put the wrong number down in their payment or whatever, and maybe someone's done that for me. I mean, it's that level of magical thinking that, that these people who owe, owe money or who owe things to you know, just sort of imagine that you're just going to forget or or that you're going to get tired of pestering them or that they're going to guilt you or embarrass you. It's all, you know, predatory and thieving kind of stuff, right? So, you know, the the act of doing good with charity is, is complicated, very complicated. And, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff is very important, making sure that you're giving money for the right things and that people are using it in the right way and they're not you know, scamming you and so on. And I'm not talking, you know, that, that all people on welfare, are, you know, like oh, I was going to get these emails, right? It's like, you know, mo- just about everyone on welfare is spending their money on really legitimate things like food and rent and all this. And absolutely, I mean, of course, I fully understand that, right? I mean, but the question is, how did they get there, right? The question isn't how are people spending their welfare checks? The question is, how did they get there? And of course, the government can't answer that. And that's one of the most significant aspects of the welfare state, right? Which is that the government can't conceivably tell the difference between the deserving poor and the undeserving poor, right? It's just, you know, it's it's uh, figures in a database. It's text in a database. That's all they know. And, of course, the government, uh, um, you know, in a sense, has no interest, right, in, 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 in discerning between the two, right? Because the bureaucrats simply want as many people on the rolls as possible, and you know any solution to any problem always involves, right? Just give us more money, right? That's the only the only solution that government bureaucrats ever seem to have learned is, you know, uh, oh, is there a problem? We're, we're you know you gave us money and and we're not doing better. Well, you have to give us more money, right? I mean, it's the one constant that you always know, which is why why you know what the real client is of of bureaucracy, right? There's nothing to do with the people that they're supposed to serve, right? Their, their clients are themselves, their own paychecks and their own sort of political fiefdoms. So, you know, one of the major problems, I mean, other than the sort of moral problems of welfare, which I've talked about in in an article recently, um, you know, a significant technical problem, even if you sort of accept the morality, a significant technical problem in the welfare state or in sort of force-based charity, what do they call it, faith-based charity, force-based charity, is that, you know, from your lofty vantage point at the head of the sort of health and welfare Canada or whatever the equivalent is, social services in the U.S., you know, when you're looking at the millions of people on welfare or who are receiving state charity, uh, how do you know? How do you have any clue who is deserving or who is undeserving? And, of course, you can put in tests like, you know, whatever, you should only be on unemployment insurance for X amount of months or whatever, but what you don't know is, you know, well, how did they end up there? Which is why sort of localized charities with knowledge tend to be the ones that are most effective, right? Because withholding of charity is as if, is as important as the providing of charity, 
I mean, that's sort of my essential point in this, right? Everyone's charity, oh, help the poor, help the poor. And everybody just, of course, because they're so subject to state propaganda, all that does is in their head it translates into give the poor money, give the poor resources, give the poor education, give the poor access, give the poor opportunity. And that's absolute nonsense. You know, I mean, <laughs> we don't do that in other areas of life, right? Uh, you know, if you, you, my kid wants candy, give the kid candy, give the kid candy. It's like, well, of course, giving candy is important, right? Because kids like candy and you should treat them well. But withholding candy is also important because, you know, they might want teeth when they're older, you know, or to be able to fit through a door. So, you know, the withholding of of things is as important as the, the providing of things. I mean, this is certainly true of love, right? I mean, withholding love is very important when it comes to people who are acting badly, right? I mean... Because otherwise, providing love doesn't mean anything, right? If you can, I mean, so I, I think I may mentioned before, my mother, uh, sorry, my brother was talking about, you know, after I stopped seeing my mother, my brother was saying, you know, well, you should see her, you know, Steph, because if you don't see her, then she has total control over your choices. You're choosing not to see her. You're not allowed to see her. And so, you know, you're surrendering control to her. You know, which, if, you know, is brain-bendingly baffling, right? And so I said, okay, so what you're saying is, that we should see people that we like because we like them, and we should also see people that we hate as well, right? So basically, we should just see everyone, and there's absolutely no way that you can figure out who you should or shouldn't see. Everybody has a right to your time, right? And of course, you, you know, instantly changed the subject and, you know, started talking about something else. And, you know, but that's sort of important, right? I mean, that's... The, 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 to understand how important it is to withhold approval, right? I mean, it's, again not to make this the Atlas Shrugged evening, but it's what Ayn Rand talks about in Atlas Shrugged, which is that the withholding of sanction, the withdrawal of sanction, is an absolutely essential thing. And this is part of my argument with the argument for morality, is that, you know, you kind of have to call people who are advocating your death or sort of your slavery, your economic slavery, as bad people. I mean, you may or may not have listened to my, you know, impassioned rant about Christianity, you know, which is still nothing compared to Christianity's impassioned rant about atheists, right? So you really do have to withhold sanction, and in the same way, withholding charity is as essential, and you could actually argue that it is more essential than the providing of charity. So you want to withhold charity if it's true that if you don't withhold charity, you end up with far more people who claim to be in need but who actually have put themselves in need, if you don't withhold charity, you're going to swell those ranks and you're actually going to obscure or to blur or to hide the identities of those who are actually needy, right? You want to make sure that you don't invite too many people into a situation of charity because then you won't be able to find those who are actually needy because you'll be so baffled and confused and overwhelmed by everybody else with their sort of hands out for, for goodies. So, you know, withholding of charity is absolutely essential in terms of really helping people, like on two levels. One, because you want to focus your charity on those who can actually be helped by it. And secondly, if you do give money or resources to those who are undeserving, you're actually subsidizing their, you know, bad lifestyles. And, you know, that's not too bad if it's just them. But, you know, you... uh, uh, you know, you, you, you certainly sh- shouldn't, absolutely shouldn't if they have children, right? So that's kind of important uh, in terms of being able to understand what charity means and, and, and why it is such a delicate issue and why, you know, just saying, well, what are you going to do for the poor is such, to me, such an offensive statement and such a, a bigoted statement because it does not recognize that the poor are sort of like everybody else, right? They have 
you know, they have their motives, they have their economic calculations, they have benefits, you know, with a couple of differences, right? And there's sort of a couple of essential differences about the poor that, um, uh, you know, are important to remember when you're talking about charity. And one of them is that the alternatives to charity for poor people are usually a lot worse than the alternatives to charity for people who are better off, right? So uh, if you're a poor person, you know, and you have no education or whatever, then charity gives you a life of like, you know, you don't have to have a lot of things, right? I mean, you live in a sort of share a basement apartment with someone if you want, but, you know, it's not that bad a, a life, right? I mean, you can go for walks in the park, you can watch TV, you can read books, you can, you know, do stuff that, you know, is fairly pleasurable and doesn't require much money. But if you don't get the sort of charity that you want, then, you know, what are your options? Well, you've got to go work behind the counter at a gas station. You know, kind of not so pleasant, right? <laughs> kind of not so much fun. And so the upside of charity for poor people is, you know, that they can sort of live in this low-rent existence and kind of get by. And, you know, the, the, the consequences of no charity is some crappy job that, you know, makes them explode with boredom. For, you know, middle-class people, uh, charity is, uh, you know, bad, right? <laughs> right? Certainly, if I had to go on welfare tomorrow, I would lose my house, right? So if I'm poor to begin with, I can kind of sort of get by or whatever, right? And the alternatives for me are pretty bad. But if I'm sort of in the middle class and I lose my job, then my lifestyle goes through a sort of catastrophic <laughs> downward degrade degradation, right? And also, you know, my job's pretty interesting. You know, I have a pretty enjoyable career. I don't love every minute at work, but, you know, I would say that for the most part, I have one of the better jobs around, if not, uh, you know, in the top 5 or 10% of jobs, probably the top 5%. You know, there's a lot of variety. It's interesting. I get to do coding and travel and business presentations, and I talk at conferences, and, you know, I get to do, write proposals. And, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. It's absorbing, and there's always something new to learn. So... You know, the negative consequences of charity for me in the middle class, eh, pretty bad, right? I mean, I lose everything, pretty much. And the the positive consequences of not having charity are, you know, I get to keep my stuff, and also, you know, the job is interesting. You know, it's not like I'm, you know, sort of pouring coffee, eh, you know, for eight hours straight. So that's sort of another uh, aspect. And, of course, for the rich, I mean, the uh, charity is uh, that degree of charity. It's unsustainable, right? Their entire lifestyle is unsustainable and so on. So so that's sort of one thing that's that's common, uh, and I'm just talking about broad economic incentives, I'm not talking about individual choices of the poor but, you know, if if, uh, if you're poor and facing the charity, well, you know, it's it's just less of a cost and more of a benefit than if you have a, sort of any other layer of income. It's another very important thing, right? Charity generally goes to the poor, and the poor have a much greater incentive to uh, take charity than, you know, take one of these crappy jobs and spend 10 years working their way up so that's another aspect that I think is very important. When you start to look at all these nuances and the delicacy of charity, saying, well, what are you going to do about the poor, is, you know, kind of a stupid question, you know, to be <laughs> to be perfectly blunt, you know. You know, it's like somebody, some guy coming in and saying, well, you know, how are you going to build a space shuttle? You know, well, look, it's complicated. <laughs> it really is. And the fact... The fact of the matter, it is very complicated, which is exactly why the government can't do it. I'm not talking about the space shuttle. We're back on the poverty thing. Maybe the space shuttle another time. Um, now, I think I already did NASA in my third or fourth podcast. But um, that is, is, pretty, is pretty significant, right? I mean, the more delicate and subtle 
a social operation, the less you want it to be run by brute force and bureaucrats. I mean, that's just a bad idea all round. Because, of course, the purpose, we don't want, we want to minimize poverty. I mean, that's, that's sort of one of the basic facts of, 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 of life, that, you know, we'd all probably feel a little happier if there were no poor people. Or at least if there were poor people, it's those who chose to be poor. And, you know, maybe we'd even be somewhat satisfied with those who are poor out of their own, you know, addictions or dysfunctions. But certainly when it comes to the deserving poor, those who need help and so on, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could just, like, help them? But it's complicated. It's like, you know, it's like pickup sticks if you ever played that game when you were a kid where you've got all these sticks in a heap and you've got to pull one out without touching any of the others or making the move. I mean, it's very delicate. It's like surgery. It's like it takes it takes years and years and years and immersion in different cultures and an understanding of economics and cause and effect and, you know, the tweaking of programs and, you know, the constant refinement of, of the charitable impulse and the money that's being transferred versus the services versus the means tests versus the review. I mean, it's an incredibly complicated thing to help the poor. And the idea that, you know, what, what we should do is just tax everyone, throw a massive lump of money at, at bureaucrats, and think that we're solving the problem. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely lunatic. It's absolutely, you can't solve something as delicate and complex as poverty in a productive way in the long run by, you know, holding guns to people's necks and throwing their money around. I mean, and we can see this absolutely in the statistics, right? I mean, in the post-war period, you know, from the sort of the 19, early 1950s onwards, the, the number of poor people in America were was declining by 1% a year, right? So this is all very good. People are getting out of poverty. Everything, Everyone's happy. And, you know, of course, and this is one of the things the government doesn't like. It's like, oh, well, if we get rid of the poor, we don't need a government <laughs> as much, right? So they want to make sure that they don't lose their crop, so to speak. So they put all these great society programs in and, you know, this huge welfare state gets, gets going and training programs and you know, educational supplements and all housing, state housing and rent control and all this kind of stuff, right? And, you know, the goal, of course, had nothing to do with getting rid of poverty, right? Poverty was being dealt with by the free market, right? And what they, want, what they needed to do was to stop the poor from escaping from the clutches of the government, right? I mean, that's the, the government, the, the welfare state is a charity. Oh, sorry, the welfare state is a business, and its product is poor people, right? So, And it doesn't make any money if there aren't any poor people, right? So if your stock is vanishing, you want to make sure it stops vanishing, right? The same way you try and stop shrinkage or stealing in your store, you try and stop shrinkage in the number of poor people you're managing if that's your product that you're getting paid for. So, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Great Society programs were put in, and lo and behold, you know, uh, thank heavens, it worked beautifully, just as you would expect. And now, the poor people, um, are, 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 have, they've, they've stopped declining, right? So, uh, the number of poor is declining, declining, declining. Oh, heavens, we've got to keep these poor people around to justify the state. So, then, these programs are put in place, and lo and behold, um, they, people stop getting out of poverty, right? So... Um, I don't know if that's changed more recently. These statistics are a little older. Maybe it's changed to the point where more people are in uh, poverty now than before. I certainly think that would be the case, right? Because, you know, the first round of the social programs were, um, uh, you know, designed at uh, uh, keeping the poor where they were and, of course, allowing them and paying them to breed, right? So now I bet you there's more people in poverty than there were in 1960 or 1958. Or 1965, actually, because I think it was 66 or 67 that the welfare state came into being, just as I did. 
So that's a, a pretty important thing to look at, that, you know, helping the poor, there's a whole other aspect to it, which we'll just touch on here because I think you'll all understand it as good, you know, free market uh, um, propeller heads that, you know, the what have I done to help the poor? Oh, what have you done to help the poor? Well, you know what? I I think I did the best thing to help the poor. I started a company, right? I mean, I, I, hired, I, 30, I hired 30 people for eight years. And, you know, a good chunk of those people are still employed by the company. And, you know, I created jobs. I mean, isn't that sort of the best thing that you can do for the poor is to create opportunity for them? Um, you know, and it's not like everybody who uh, worked for me was poor, but, you know, most of them were coming out of school with significant uh, debts because, you know, that's long before they know good employment practices and, you know, labor laws and health and safety and so on. So you want to get them where they don't have any idea of their legal rights, of course. Otherwise, it's tough to exploit them. So, um, you know, I created jobs. I mean, I would say that I've done a heck of a lot for the poor. Uh, a lot more than people who just, you know, drop a dime in a guy's cup on a street corner or, of course, anybody who sends money to Health and Welfare Canada or to the local welfare agency. Because that, for sure, is not going to help the poor. Like, that, for sure, is, is immoral, right? The, the the money that is spent by the government absolutely traps people in poverty and traps children in desperation. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, no interest whatsoever in, in helping the poor from the standpoint of the state. and There's no interest in it whatsoever. And so... Um, you know, that aspect of things is, is something that we also need to, to focus on. So, you know, the question sort of what what will you do about the poor, you know, it's like, well, uh, first of all, I'll stop, you know, libertarian society will stop creating poor people by taxing uh, productive people. And, you know, it will also help people sort of refine the delicate matter of how it is that we're supposed to help people um, in this very complicated situation of cold poverty and, and, you know, actual aid rather than just throwing money at stuff. Um, and, you know, you have to get the government out of that so you can really start helping people and not sort of fake help people by just throw money at them, and you know, which actually does a lot more harm than good. So that is my take on poverty and to some degree charity and to an even smaller degree the welfare state. So I hope that this has been of interest to you and have helped to you. It's certainly been a fascinating topic for me to talk about, and uh, I certainly enjoyed clarifying my thinking on this. So, of course, as always, if you have any comments, please give me a shout. I'm at freedomain.blogspot.com or s.molyneux at rogers.com. Thanks so much. All the best. You can see